0: It. All right, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want you to turn to the book of Psalms in Psalms 103. Last week, we started a, a little mini-series that I want to do for the month of February entitled Love Isn't Love Is, and today I want to talk about the fact that love isn't February the, the 14th, love is John 3, 16. But what does that really mean? Really, love is how we see God, how we view Him, how we we think of Him, how we see Him in our own lives and in the lives of others is how we love. So today I want to talk about the, the very question, how do you see God? Psalms 103 gives us an insight into how that we should see God. A way in which if every person uh, who is a follower of Christ would look at God through the eyes of the psalmist, we would have a greater view, a stronger view, a more in-depth view of God and His love. So let's stand together as we honor the reading of the Word. Yes, we're going to read the entire chapter, and yes, it is more than four verses. However, I promise not to be more than an hour and a half preaching. That's my promise. All right. It says in verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquity, who healeth all thy diseases, who reigneth my life from the destruction and crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies my mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that oppress. oppressed. He has made known His ways unto Moses, his, his acts unto His children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Like a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, a flower in the field, so it flourish. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and his place... Thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. Upon Him, the fear Him, and the righteous unto the children's children. To such as kept His covenant, to those that remember His commandments to do them, the Lord has prepared His throne, in the heavens and the kingdom ruleth over. Bless the Lord, ye His angels, and excel in strength, that do the commandments, hearkening unto the voice of His word. Bless ye the Lord all his haste, ye ministers of him, and do his pleasure. Bless the Lord all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Father, we thank you for the word of the Lord. Now we ask that, Father, as we've heard the reading of the word, would you move me out of the way as we preach the word. And, Lord, may the word speak to our hearts, and may the love of God... Uh, Fill us with his presence today, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. We are constantly told that God loves us. God is love. All of that can just seem like a theoretical, uh, uh, especially in difficult times. Where is his love then? How do I know that God loves me? Several years ago... In a seminary class, one of the students stood to his feet and announced to his professor, I don't believe in God. The professor unraveled replied, Would you do me the favor and describe the God in which you do not believe in? After the student had described an unloving, vengeful God, the professor quickly responded, I don't believe in that God either. My God is a God of love. In those moments when life becomes overwhelming, when you seem to be sitting alone, head in your hands, thinking to yourselves, where is God now? Tears are spilling down your face. You've just lost your job. You lost a friend. You lost a child. You had a really rough day. Maybe someone did something so mean and so hurtful that it just rocked you to your core. Maybe you're simply just fed up with who you are and you think that you're not worthy of God's love. There's so many reasons I think we can come up with that can cause a person to doubt God's love, to question if he's even looking after you. When these kinds of thoughts loom up and threaten to overwhelm you, the best possible prescription is to turn to the Word of God. And perhaps no greater, uh, no greater place than to turn to Psalms 103 where King David has spoken these wonderful words. How we treat others and how we act outwardly is an expression of how we see God. As a matter of fact, the disciples, when asking Jesus how were people going to know that they were his followers once he had gone back up into heaven, he said, they will know you by the way you love one another. How we view God determines how we love one another. If you view God as only a just God that just punishes sin, then you may view people with little to no tolerance. But if you view God as a loving God who is gracious, merciful, and kind, who is constantly forgiving you of your wrongs and not holding them over you, then perhaps when we do love people, we do the same. So as I preach this morning, I have a question that I want you to keep in the back of your mind. How do you seek? When you think of God, how do you view Him? How do you think of Him as that God who interacts in your life? How do you see Him interacting to your sin? How do you see Him interacting to your ways? How do you see Him loving you? How do you see God? The first thing that I want us to see is found in verses 8, 11, 13, and 17 the description of God's love for his children. I want to know, how do you describe, and and really, I want to know this, and Joyce, maybe you're the perfect person that can answer this question. How do you describe a rose to a blind person? You know, um, there was a lot of things that Brother Bob, who had lost his sight for many years, had to to envision what things look like. As a matter of fact, I was one of those. Brother Bob never got to see me, but we spent a lot of time together. I wonder how he saw me. What was the, the, the image in his mind when he heard my name? I wonder, how do you describe a rose to a blind person? How do you describe handles a hallelujah chorus to a deaf person? How do you describe the thrill of downhill skiing to someone who has never walked? I know that one. You're crazy in the head if you put a stick on the bottom of your feet and go down a hill. I don't know how to describe that one. Insanity. But how do you how do you explain the thrill of downhill skiing? I don't know. I've never done it. But how do you describe the infinite love of God to an impure, infinite human being who doesn't know such love? One of the most vivid characteristics of God is is that God is a God of love, and I'm so glad that He loves us. But you know, God didn't just choose to to write words down and say "I love you." You know, um, in our country, um, you know, card makers make millions and billions of dollars a year by just writing the words "I love you" down for us. I think we could save a lot of money, man. If we stopped buying cards, it just did the acts that said, I love you. Oh, man, I can't believe I didn't get any amens from the ladies on that one. Wow, I thought I would get a whole row of them. All right, so let's look at what uh, the Bible says here. The psalmist that described uh, the love of God. and the description and recording the love and nature of God, the psalmist starts off in verse 8. He states that he is full of faithful love. And then he goes on to say, For as high as the heaven are above the earth, so great is faithful love towards those who fear him, in verse 11. He goes on to say in verse 13, As a father had compassion upon his children, so the Lord has compassion upon those who fear and then in verse 17, he says, But from eternity to eternity, the Lord's faithful love is towards those who fear him. You know, the Bible tells us that, that God gives us a great descriptive of love. Did you notice that it's not in mere words? Everything was an action. Love in action speaks louder than words. And God said that I come to show you how much I love you. I come to express my love in a definition that is not in words, but in deed. And God did that for us. But what is the definition of God's love? Look at verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The point is simply that God loves, but that he is love itself. Love is not merely one of the attributes of God, but it is his very, very, nature the scripture says and we have come to know and to believe the love of God has for us God is love and in one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in him John wrote that in first John chapter 4 verse 16 to say that God is love is not to imply that love is God there is a difference in that statement There is a difference in me saying my dog is a girl, and my girl is a dog. you think about that for a moment, I'd be in trouble if I said that. God is love simply means that God wants the very best for you and I. God has your best interest in heart and in mind. He wants to give you all the good gifts, provide you with all of His benefits, the psalmist says. In other words, God said, listen, I didn't come just to give you life. But what did he say? I came to give you life and to give it to you what? Abundantly. With all the benefits. It's like having a Thanksgiving meal if all you have is the turkey. Do you have all the benefits? No, the benefits are not the turkey. That's the meal. The benefits are all the fixings that come along with it. God said, listen, I've come to give you life, but listen, not just life, but I came to give you all the fixings that go with it that makes the meal a meal. see, the reality is God says there are benefits in following. There's benefits in being loved by God, but what are those benefits? Again, the benefits of God's love. The psalmist uncovers all the phrases of life that God's love has touched. And, and turned into benefits and blessings to those who receive it.
1: I want to look at a
0: few of those benefits through the psalm. In and, and verses 3 and 12, he talks about our spiritual benefits. Spiritually, you and I are benefited every time because of God's love. Spiritually, God's love removes the barrier that separates us from him. And how did he do that? The Bible says that he canceled the debt of our sin so that we can once again enjoy a relationship with God. God's love removes our sin as though that it never existed. I love it when the psalmist says that, that God has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. You know, he didn't save as far as the north is from the south because you know what? We can measure actually the distance from the north to the south. But the east and the west is one of those things that we cannot measure. It's endless. It's endless. The further east you go, the more west there is. The further west you go, the more east there is. There is no stopping point, no starting point. And God reminds us there is no stopping point in my forgiving of your sin. And when you and I sin and we we confess God and He forgives us and we come back and say, here I am again, God, with that same sin of untrust or disobedience or rebellion or whatever it is, God says, what sin? He not only says that he forgives it as far as the east is from the west, but he cast it into the sea, into the deepest part of the sea, and he posts that sign that says, no fishing gear. Don't go dig it back up. You know, the reality is, spiritually, you and I, were separated from God's love. Our sin separated us from the love of God. God's love broke through our sin barrier, and he forgave us our sins, and he reestablished our relationship. In verse 3, look again there. Uh, who forgives all of thine iniquities, who healeth all of thy diseases emotionally. The Lord says, I want to show you my love emotionally. Did you know that much of our physical and emotional illnesses are due to our own moral failures? We bring upon ourselves a lot of the sicknesses in which we have in our lives. And removing the sin. But not only removing the sin, but one of the great things about God is He doesn't just forgive us of our sin. He removes the guilt of our sin. But listen, if you're still struggling with the guilt of sin, here's my advice to you. Let it go. Let it go. Because God very clearly says, when we are forgiven of our sins, we are set free from the guilt and the shame of our sin, and therefore He says, there is no condemnation in them that are oh, he says, there's no guilt or shame. Emotionally, we have been given a new lease on life. And then in verse 4, he talks about the benefit of eternity. Eternally, we've been given. Look at what he says. Who redeemeth thy life from the destruction? From the destruction. The destruction is the pit of death itself. God loves to rescue us, fallen humanity from our own bent on destruction and grant to us eternal life. Isn't it good to know that we were, we were in rebellion to God, heading our own way, saying, God, I'd rather go to hell and, and, and enjoy this life than to, to repent and turn and do for you what you've called me you to do. But yet in God's love, he took us from that very place. And he turned us through repentance back towards him and says, not only am I giving you a new life here, a lease on life, but I'm giving you the promise of eternal life. What a joy that God promises that he gives to us the benefit of eternal life. And then he goes on in verse 4 to talk about uh, authoritatively. He does this. Who redeemeth thy life from the destruction? Who crowneth thee with the loving kindness and tender mercy? God's love places a crown of royal glory and authority on us. You know, I thought about this when I was thinking about the prodigal son. When the prodigal son returned home, the father saw him afar off and he welcomed his son and he, he came and he ran and he kissed this nasty, dirty boy. You know, and he could have said, now that's all you get until you get clean, you nasty thing. But, you know, the story goes on to say that he didn't wait for someone son to clean up his life. He told the servants, go and get him a robe. Put a robe upon him. A robe of righteousness, my righteousness. Put a ring on his finger to identify that he belongs to you." The Spirit of God was given to each of us to show the devil that we no longer belong to him shoes on his feet because he said, listen, only slaves in those days uh, went without shoes. Aren't you glad that God has given us shoes to walk in? He's given us a, a, a blessing of life that we do. He made his son back into the image of his son. God made a rebellious child back into the image of his son. About the authority that God has. God's love for us. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6, God's love for us says this It made us kings and priests unto God his Father. We have been crowned with his love and given a new citizenship on this earth and in heaven above. And then in verse 5, we find the next benefit is that of physically. In verse 5, he goes on to say, Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles? Like a father, he desires to give us the good gifts of strength and endurance. Jesus, the embodiment of God's love, came enjoying life. Jesus didn't come as some guy that was obscure and, and distant from people. As a matter of fact, when we read the Gospels, we find that Jesus was involved in dinner parties. He was involved in weddings. He was involved in activities. And, and he enjoyed life. Why? Because he said, when we're in right relationship with God, we too shall enjoy the life that God has given us. Physically, he says, I want to renew your spirit. You know, The psalmist also reminds us that the Lord our strengths, like eagles so that we can soar once again. God came so that we, as His children, can enjoy the life which He has given us to live. The last benefit that we find in this this passage of Scripture is found in verse six, judically. And look at what He says: "The Lord execute righteousness and judgment." all that are oppressed here we find a major difference between his divine love and what so often passes for love among people today often love is expressed as that virtue that accepts everything you know it's almost like that we say when god is loved that everything goes anything's okay we can do what we want because god loves us The love of God has restrictions. That's what makes it so loving. God says, listen, I cannot overlook your sin. I cannot let you get away with that which will destroy you spiritually. Therefore, judically, he says, I must judge that which is wicked. I must bring to your attention that which is disobedient. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that God loves me enough that he sets me straight. I want you to think as a parent, if you love your children, do you let them go play in the street where you know that they might get run over by a car? Or do you tell them, do not go out in the street or else there is consequences. And when near the street, you give them the consequences to show them how much you love them and that you want to keep them safe. That's what God does for us. The judgment of God is not that He wants to reign over us and hit us when we fail Him. The love of God is that I want to keep you on the straight and the narrow. I want to make sure that you're walking with me, that you're always in relationship with me. And when you're not, We're going to take you out to the woodshed and we're going to have a conversation. God loves us enough that He corrects us. That's the love of God. Divine love hates what is wrong and embraces what is right. And then the psalmist wants us to understand the knowledge of God's love. What should you and I know about God's love? There's a few things that I want to uh, pose our time with out of the Scripture here that shares with us. First of all, we need to understand that God's love is all-consuming. God's love is all-consuming. God's love touches every part of our life. There is nothing, there is no calling, no circumstance, no ad- adversity, no advancement, no pain, no promotion, no status, no station that escapes the brush strokes of God's love. God's love bleeds into every fiber of our lives. The number of times the three letter word all is found in this text reminds us that God's love is all encompassing in our life. His love seems to touch every area of our life, there is nowhere that we can escape his love. There is no problem that we can encounter that is not touched by his love for us. There's no advancement that we get in this life where God is not already there. Even when our world seems to be falling apart, we can say, God, I might not know why this is happening, I might not understand why it's happening, but I sure am glad that you love me enough that I know you're walking with it through me. When you have someone who loves you, who's holding you, it doesn't matter what everyone else does around you, what your circumstances are, or what your future holds. When you are in the arms of a loving God, when you have been consumed with his all consuming love, you share in his benefits. And then, and only then, can we say, no matter what, it's all right. No matter what I have to go through, I know he loves me and he's got me. Not only do we need to understand that his love is all consuming, God's love is personal. Bible cuts through the philosophical abstractions and declares that God is a person. As a personal being, God is capable of loving and being loved. Let me say that again. As a personal God, He is able to love and to be loved. God doesn't just want to love us, but He wants us to. Just as God has been gracious to show his love towards us, what are you doing to show your love for him? What are you doing that expresses to the world around you that I love you, God? It's a personal God. God says, let me love you and let me receive you. God's love is not simply for mankind as a mass. When we think of the fact that in John three sixteen, it says, For God so loved the world. Don't get so hung up with the word world as much as God so loved every human being in this world. To which, to which you need to understand that your name, your name, once you receive Jesus Christ, your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life that God remembers your name. That's how personal God is. He knows you. He knows you. And He wants you to know that He knows you. He wants you to know how much He loves you. It's not just a sentiment, a a, a vague, diffused feeling, something like what Charlie Brown's attitude towards life is. When Charlie Brown says, you know, I love mankind, it's just people I can't stand. God really loves individual people. Loves you. Loves me. Notice again in Psalms 103 the number of times the personal pronouns. Look through it. An underline if you want to, me, us, my, all the personal pronouns that are that are written in this very chapter. He says, I want you to know that I'm talking to you. I'm not just talking about the world, I'm talking to you. I want you to know as you're sitting there today, God is speaking to you, each one of you. That's how intimate. God says, I love you. He means you. He is saying that you matter to Him. You are a person of worth. You are valuable to Him. Regardless of what others think, what others may say, in His eyes, you are worth. God's love is all encompassing God's love is... Us is absolutely personal. And lastly, God's love is beyond comprehension. In verses thirteen and fourteen, I want you to draw your attention. There it says, "Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear Him. For He knoweth our frame; He remembereth that we are made of dust." Amazing, isn't it? The Bible says that God knows. I mean, he knows me, But yet he still chooses to love me. Man, I'm it. I know me. And there's times that I would say, I, I don't know why anybody loves me. But God says, I know you. And yet I still love you. God knows that I am a sinner, yet he forgives me. I'm diseased, yet he heals me. I'm in a pit, and he reaches down his hand of love and grace and pulls me out. I'm grateful for his good gifts, yet he gives them to me anyways. I don't deserve them, but that's what grace is. I deserve justice, but yet he grants mercy. Like a father's love for a wayward and rebellious son, anxiously for him to return home so to grant him a new start. That is a perfect illustration of God's love for each of us. That's a glimpse of the kind of incredible, incomprehensible love that God has for a sinner such as I. If you didn't know that you were loved, you were loved, you didn't feel that you were loved, I encourage you on Jesus' and your experiences. And if you'll get some instrumental music together to play in the background. Let me close with this. And then the, the Bible says that someone would lay down their life. I are looking for a visible, distinctive definition of love, look to what God did for you in Christ Jesus. We looked at this scripture last week in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, and we'll come back to it again in our series, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you really want to understand love, don't listen to love songs. Don't listen to the way people throw around the word love today. I want you to take a journey 2,000 years in the past and look to a hill called Golgotha, Calvary, a place where Jesus came to die. When asked, how much do you love humanity? How much do you love the individual?" jesus could have said i love them but i'm not doing this but instead on calvary's hill on Galgotha, place of the skull the lord himself willingly outstretched his arms and let himself be nailed to a cross he said let this be a perfect illustration wondered, God loves you. Take a look at the cross. The cross is God's way of saying, I love you this much. Outstretched arms and open heart. God says, I love you. Receive my love so that you can love me. God's final words to us are etched Blood red, and they scream to be heard, and they say, I love you. Let the love of the Father through the love of the Son, by the work of the Holy Spirit, penetrate your heart and show forth His love. If you've never come to that experience of love, begin to play that music in the background, please. If you've never come to that place where you've experienced His love, where you said, I know. I know that my debt of sin was paid on Calvary's cross. I know that I was forgiven when I bowed my heart and my head before the Lord and said, forgive me of my sins and my heart. but you experience the love of the Savior because not only did he forgive you not only did he cleanse you of your sin but he said now you are mine and I am yours and with that is the reality that because we are his and because he is ours have been given the promise of eternal life. We will spend eternity with you. My heart, my desire is that you would know how much the Father loves you. Because the Bible says that He loved you so much that He of our God and will receive the promise of a life eternal with You. That's the love of the Father. If you've never received that love, today would be a great day for you to accept that love. But if you have, like me, have received that love, but like so many times in our life in our personal relationships as well as our spiritual relationship there's times when our A little further from God than we ever, ever intended to be. I want you to know His loving arm has reached out and He's saying, Come home, my son. Come home, my daughter. Let me restart that relationship once again. Maybe you're here today and if truth be known, as close to the Father's love as yours were. What a great day to be renewed like the eagles, to be restored in His love. In just a moment, I'm going to ask everybody to stand.